electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? Just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When everything's going down, you can't just stand there. You got to do something. Warren Buffett famously said that unlike baseball, there are no cold strikes in this business. And that is true to a certain extent. But as long as interest rates remain low, and even after this move, they're still low, I think you have to take advantage of declines like this and find something to buy. One of the babies that are getting thrown out with the bathwater? Why bother to buy anything after a day like today where the Dow lost 163 points as we declined 0.14% and the Nasdaq had to mount a furious comeback just to finish up 0.05%? Many reasons. First, if you want to be a good investor, you need to buy stocks when you're getting low prices, at least low relative to just a week or two ago, like when the market was in free fall this very morning. You had to buy the Nasdaq when it was its most ugly. In this sense, I think Buffett could be wrong. Maybe there are no called strikes in this business, but there are certainly missed opportunities. When you see a big decline, big decline like this morning in the Nasdaq, it sure feels like a called strike if you do nothing. And then the market goes right back up like it did today. We know that many people like to buy a rising market because they fear missing out. They're trying to buy high and then sell higher. But sometimes they simply buy high and get crushed. The thing is, if you buy now, you're buying low or at least much lower than where we were a few weeks ago. That's how you can avoid kicking yourself for buying stocks near the peak. Even if we have more downside, at least you're not coming at the high, right? We managed to catch the low today for some of our advice for the investing club, my travel trust. But that was because when things are most ugly, my discipline is to look at the ugliest stocks and the best companies. In other words, the stocks that are down the most of really good companies and do some buying, as Sarah Eisen told you when she recapped our move on closing bell today. Second, the leader on the downside in this market, the stock that started the whole decline, frankly, was Adobe. The $250 billion software titan, after getting, and it, it, it just has been hideous. After getting slammed once more this morning, trading as low as $497, Adobe finished the day up 3% to 525. I've chronicled this today. It was on uh, 
on Twitter, believe it or not. While this company is very profitable, when it reported mid-December, its results were widely panned. Since then, big tech has been wobbly. Then on January 4th, UBS slashed its estimate for Adobe and downgraded the stock, saying that the business isn't making a comeback. It's actually down-ticking. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true. Now, I had Adobe's uh, CEO, that's Chantanu Narayan, on this show after the company reported. And Chantanu, well, I thought he said a lot of good things. And he doubted that there was any slowdown to, be, to begin with, let alone one that was continuing. I'm with, I'm with him. Now, it's true there were some lines that weren't perfect. However, Adobe below $500, where it was at today's lows, is a very different beast than the Adobe that was at $680 a couple of months ago. In other words, unlike so many other stock pontificators, I think price matters, and it isn't factored in enough to people's thinking. It's no shock that Adobe turned today. It fell too far from where it was historically traded. Even if last week's downgrade was, was, was right, you're now getting in on a high-quality stock at a much better price, despite there being no real evidence that the business has deteriorated since they reported the quarter. Price matters. That's what you need to know when I say eyes on Adobe. Price matters. Third reason to hold your nose and buy, some very smart businesses are actually taking action here, which tells me that the lower prices are creating real bargains for other companies. Remember, there are two ways to value a company, based on what investors will pay for the stock and based on what another firm might pay for the whole enterprise. I famously told David Faber, my partner in the morning, a gazillion times, it was too early to buy Zynga. That's that mobile game maker. I got less day given the company turned profitable last year, only to see the stock plunge from $11 to $6 late last year. Now, again, that was that sell-off that began you know, right around the time of Adobe. I think the video game business is simply too competitive, especially on the mobile side. But today, Take-Two Interactive bought Zynga. They bought it. I could look for nearly $13 billion in cash and stock. That's a 64% premium to where it finished last week. But it's still well below where it traded when the Nasdaq was still high-flying in the summer. Saying this stock may not have been worth much to any given investor, but it was worth a great deal to another game maker that wants to smooth out its earnings, as Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick told us when I asked him about the deal this morning. Again, public investors aren't the only buyers out there. When a stock gets too cheap, another company might pounce. Sure, Take-Two stock did get slugged on the news, plummeting $21. But you know what? I trust Strauss. He knows his business better than I do. Smart people taking action. A fourth consideration, when the stock market is taking its cue from the bonds, then it's possible that the decline can reverse if bond yields ever stop rising. We're all used to seeing uh, to see stocks that can go straight down, but bonds tend to overshoot in a particular direction given short periods, and then they correct in the other direction. Today we saw bond yields surge in the morning before going lower in the afternoon and finishing the session up very slightly. Now that became a clarion call for traders to scalp or come in and buy the dip, usually with the intention of trading out at the end of the day. And by the way, The scalpers really won today because when rates turned, they continued to go down, and that gave you that window to buy. Now, obviously, the scalpers aren't the best kind of investors or traders, but they do show you that this market's interest rate sensitivity can cut both ways. And anyone who thinks rates can just keep moving inexorably higher simply has not studied the way the bond market works. To be sure, if rates go higher from where they are today, then stocks, same stocks that got crushed earlier this morning, will be beat up again tomorrow, except this time. Investors will be looking to buy the dip, not sell it, because they saw what happened today. 
fifth. The stocks that typically bottom first when they're in the throes of a decline, the food and drugs and consumer staples, all cleaning themselves well in the morning, as we would expect, giving you a sense that not everything would, be, would, would get obliterated. They don't necessarily produce a market-wide bottom, but you can pretty much count, can't have a bottom without them. They're the ones that always bottom first. Now, I actually worried this time that the playbook for them bottoming wouldn't happen because almost all of these staples have supply chain problems or raw cost issues. But the ones that reported keep telling me that they have pricing power coming in and the consumer won't resist the price increases. Decent place to be. Uh, or at least a place that is working, okay? Uh, when I say working, it means that, remember I told you Clorox at bottom like 10 points ago? It's working right now. It's not where I want to be, but it's working. Now, there are a couple of things that still disturb me about this market. Many of the industrial winners have yet to really start coming down, although some did fall in the last two hours. We need them to go lower. In the end, everything corrects in an environment like this one. That's the last shoe. I also don't like how, well, two shoes. I don't like how the bank stocks are looking. Now, they are coming in way too hot into their earnings on Friday and next week. When that happens, unless the CEOs say we are predicting a major earnings breakout because of the Fed, I expect the financials to pull back. Unfortunately, these are bankers, not tech guys. They aren't prone to making such bold projections. Meanwhile, financial technology. Oh, my God, fintech. There really is no bottom. You know I follow PayPal. Chapel Trust owns it. It's been a mistake. The decline in the stock is horrifying to me. How low does it have to go before the sellers conclude that it's just no longer worth dumping? Not at these levels. Incredible. Now, the pattern in this part of the market is to rally off the lows and then open higher the next day, perhaps massively higher if bonds keep rallying, rates keep going lower, before coming in a bit between 10, 30, 11. And that's what makes things so hard. If it opens up tomorrow, it's very difficult to figure out what to do. It's another reason why I keep stressing you need to do buying into the weakness of ugly days like today, like my charitable trusted. So the bottom line, if the market opens down tomorrow, you should look for something to buy. But if it opens higher, take a pass. But remember that when an important index like the Nasdaq trades at a three-month low, you have to at least buy something that's being thrown out because they can't all be that terrible. Mark in Connecticut, Mark. Yes, Jimmy Chill. Yo. I got a show idea for you, and then I got a couple of stock picks. Okay. First show idea is you do a segment once a week called Do the Math, where you show us how to value different companies, like, say, 5-9, you do one week. The next week, you do a, a bank where you show us how to do the price to book. All right. Uh, you know, I think that, remember, a lot of what I do is try to be as accessible to po- as possible. I like that idea to try to figure out what the book value is versus, say, city and owning the stock. We've done it a couple times. It is, you know, I try not to bore people, candidly. It's harder to understand. I try to make it put some sugar in it so that people well, uh, like the it. stock pickers market right now. Well, it, right? true. We but again, I, mean, I got to try to educate. And it's like when I took the bar exam, it took the bar exam as a dry subject. You had to make it come alive. And those professors made it come alive. As far as five, five, nine, you know that we that we have liked it. I We've know, had trollop one. We think it's terrific, Mark. And I'm not going to back away from it. That's the one that Zoom video tried to buy. Let's go to Kate in Georgia, please. Kate. Hi, Kramer. How are you? I am good. How are you, Kate? I'm good. First, I want to say, like, I've made several wise, sound decisions, and there's a direct correlation of being part of the investment club. Oh, that's terrific. Thank you. Thank you. We sure are trying. We're out there. But that's great. And I want people to join. It's very important to me. So go ahead. So um, a while back, my son asked me what stock he thought, you know, I should recommend for him. And 
I liked ISRG, Intuitive Surgical, and I said, let me see if I can do a little bit more due diligence. And I was blessed enough to come on the show and ask you about it, and you recommended it as a buy. And he got it, and I got more of it. But it's gone down, and I feel like we're moving well through the pandemic. I mean, I know things are rough right now, but I feel like things are going to get better and elective surgeries will go back up again. And I'm wondering if this is a good place to add to my position with it. Yes, I think you got this right, Kate. I think that that is a stock that's been hurt by COVID because people go, don't go in and use the procedures because they're worried about getting it. That it, As this peaks, ISRG is going to be a stock that goes back up. Fortunately, not that much off its low, uh, off its high, but just enough to really make it tempting because it's about a little bit more than 10%, which is perfect. Now, if the market opens down tomorrow, you got to look for something to buy. Okay? I mean, you saw what happened today. If it opens up higher and interest rates uh, start going higher again, well, then you're going to have to say it missed it. On Man Money tonight, analysts are rolling out their full-year outlook notes for 2022. And one name continues to be repeated among the crowd. I'm taking a closer look at Uber and sharing if I think this is the stock to buy for the new year. Then this weekend, sports betting became legal in New York State. So could some winners emerge on Wall Street after the group's decline? I'll give you my take. And Dexcom slipped today after reporting preliminary fourth quarter results. I'm going straight to the source to get a read on an amazing stock and a great company, the diabetes equipment maker that I think is just so good, Dexcom. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible 
visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As 2022 gets rolling, this is the time when the analysts love to roll out their full-year outlook notes. I don't know why. I watch them pretty closely. I'm looking for the best ideas for you. This year, there's one that I've seen repeatedly. It took me by surprise. Probably you, too. Uber Technologies. Now, it's certainly a curious choice. Uber came public two and a half years ago. And in that entire time, the ride-sharing stock, well, let's just say it has been completely dead money. In fact... It's down more than three bucks from its IPO price. But suddenly there's a surge of optimism for Uber. No less than five different sell-side research firms brokerages have named this stock one of their top ideas for 2022. And you know what? I think they've got a point because this could be the year when Uber finally works. And by the way, it is very rare to see such unanimity from people who really didn't care for it before. Now, if you're worried that I've lost my mind, I get that. But give me a minute. I know I've spent the last couple of months warning you away from tech stocks with no earnings, and Uber's definitely unprofitable. Their core ride-sharing business has been hammered by the pandemic, and right now the Omicron numbers are looking real bad. Even as I'm betting this outbreak will peak sooner than most of us expect, simply because it's just so virulent. At the same time, Uber's got regulatory woes. Worst of all, the tight labor market means they've had to deal with a major driver shortage, which translates into higher fares for their customers, sometimes much higher. When Uber reported its latest quarter in November, the headline numbers were better than expected. They even had positive earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization for the first time ever. But a few weeks later, the Federal Reserve got more hawkish. whole market turned against unprofitable growth stocks in terms of uh, earnings per share, like Gap, you know, where they actually have the numbers, post all that EBITDA and rigmarole. And that briefly, briefly sent this one tumbling from the mid-40s to the mid-30s. Now it's recovered to $42 and changed it today. So Uber doesn't really fit the pattern of the kind of stocks I've been telling you to own for 2022. So why the heck am I pounding the table right now? All right, let me give you the bull case. First off, this is now a well-rounded business for the first time that I can remember. Originally, when Uber came public, the rideshare division was doing well, but their delivery platform, Uber Eats, was, oh, was horrible, was really struggling. At the same time, the online delivery services were all locked in a bitter struggle for the market share that made it very difficult for any of them to make money. Then the pandemic hit, and while there was great, deliver- a great, great business for, uh, for delivery, it was awful for the cab business because there was nowhere to go. You also were scared to get into the cabs. But if we can finally beat COVID this year, which is what I expect after Omicron spreads through the whole population, then the ride-sharing division would be in much better shape. So you can't look at it now. you got to think about the future. Delivery side, this industry has changed radically thanks to consolidation. The few remaining operators now have a pretty decent business. How decent? Okay, these numbers are pretty telling. 2019, Uber Eats lost $1.4 billion on a $1.4 billion in revenue number. Woo. In 2020, the revenue exploded to $3.9 billion. They still lost $873 billion. In the most recent quarter, though, Uber Eats had 97% revenue growth, and they nearly broke even on an earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, depreciation basis. As for the ride-sharing business, it's all about a return to normalcy post-Omicron. One reason this new variant is spreading so rapidly, though, is that many people are already living their lives like normal, either because they've been vaccinated or because they just don't take the virus seriously. In the third quarter, Uber's ride-sharing revenue grew by 62%, although you got to remember they were up against easy comparisons last year was so ugly. Once the Omicron wave peaks, I bet those numbers get even better. Then there's a division, you know, I've been focused on. I've had the CEO of it on 
and I think it's going to be a major contributor, maybe next year, not this year, Uber Freight, which is basically the same platform, but instead of drivers and passengers, it matches driver, uh, truck drivers with loads of freight that need to be moved. Right now, our whole economy is being squeezed by a supply chain crisis, and trucking is a huge part of that, which makes Uber Freight more central than ever. They just acquired another freight company called Transplace for $2.25 billion. That gives them a lot more scale and brings this business much closer to profitability. It should break even by the end of the year, and then next year, I think, will be a major contributor. Hey, speaking of profitability, that's the other part of my both thesis. Like I mentioned earlier, Uber's already profitable on an EBITDA basis. This is the most recent quarter. You saw that. At a moment when long-term interest rates are rising sharply in anticipation of several rate hikes from the Fed and maybe as many as four, could be five, well, investors have no patience with money-losing companies. Uber's pivot to profitability is happening just in time. If you look at the analyst estimates, the company should be able to generate $1.4 billion, here we go again, in earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization this year, with that number growing to $3.6 billion in 2023, $5.5 billion in 2024. In terms of actual earnings per share, those should go positive next year. In other words, Uber about to become an earnings growth story, and that's what I still want. I mean, look, I would love it if they're consistently profitable, but remember, I also think companies that break into the black are meaningful. Third point, this stock got hammered by the growth sell-off last year, but then it bottomed in mid-December, and it's been holding up much better than the true high flyers. What turned things around? On December 14th, CEO Dara Koswashari revealed that Uber had just recorded its best week ever in terms of overall gross profits. Oh, gross, I'm sorry, gross bookings. While they haven't fully re- recovered from the pandemic, the ride-sharing business had its best week since COVID hit. Delivery business had its best week ever. This is a really good sign. Meanwhile, a month from now, you've got a major catalyst. Uber reports on February 9th. Then the next day, they're holding an investor meeting, February 10th. That happens to be my birthday. Very significant. Where I think management will paint a very positive picture about their company, not necessarily about me. Finally, we're starting to... Not me. Finally, we're starting to hear positive chatter about autonomous driving in. This is so important because this was... Initially, when I dreamed of Uber, what I thought was the big difference maker would be when they got rid of the drivers. But that turned out not to happen. Now it's getting to be on the cusp of something really big. I don't want to bet on on this specifically because the headline risk is enormous. But it gives you a nice long-term kicker. It's finally there because Uber would be a lot more profitable if they can start cutting human drivers out of the equation. And I think they will be able to eventually. When you look through the bullish analyst reports on this one, they have a similar set of arguments. The analysts love Uber's delivery business. They especially love how it's expanding into groceries. They're salivating over the pivot to profitability. They see Uber as a terrific reopening play, not just because it means more ride-sharing business, but because getting over COVID should also help solve the labor shortage, something I believe in firmly. Perhaps most important, they like that Uber's cheap. Now, I've been telling you to avoid stocks that trade at multiple sales, not earnings. But Uber now trades at just three times sales. And that is a real bargain if business keeps picking up. And remember, this is one of those stocks where when it pivots, it should pivot big, not like this, but like this. Here's the bottom line. Uber is not a slam dunk. You still got a regulatory risk and an Omicron risk if Omicron lingers. They could put a damp on the ride share recovery. But I think we reached a point where the positives now outweigh the negatives. I cannot believe I'm saying this. So you got my blessing to put on a small position in Uber. You can buy more into weakness if the stock pulls back, if the Nasdaq also likes to test its low. Remember, I expect the investor meeting to be a month from now to be a major positive catalyst. But I like Uber. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, states are getting much comfier letting fans roll the dice. And Kramer wants you to play it smart. Odds are you'll want to see what's next. 
on Mad Money. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. At 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, all my sports gambling officially began, became legal in the state of New York. While we had legal in-person sports betting before, it was mostly at a few casinos upstate, far away from the city. But now we've got four online sportsbooks. We've got DraftKings, FanDuel, which is a subsidiary of Flutter Entertainment, Caesar Sportsbook, and Bet Rivers, which belongs to Rush Street Interactive. New York is now the most popular state to legalize uh, sports betting. We're talking about the potential for millions more customers. However, as I watched the world this weekend, I don't know about you, but it's... It kind of struck me as incredibly bearish for the industry. I mean, there's a reason all of these sports gambling stocks have been crushed lately. Penn National was the worst performing game in the entire S&P 500 last year, down 40%, down 67% from its highs last March. DraftKings, which is the most high-profile online sports betting pure play, has done just as badly, down 41% last year. Those are hideous declines. And the representative of the broader group. You won't find any stock in this industry anywhere near its highs. Why? Because the industry is just too darn competitive. Too many players competing for too little business, which means there's not much room for any of them to clean up. Let me walk you through what happened in New York, and then I'll explain what this means for the business. It's kind of a seminal moment. Now, this has been in the works since last April as part of the state's last budget. Then they started taking proposals from various gambling companies. Two months ago, New York picked nine operators from mobile sports betting, the four that already launched, plus five others, Bally Bet from Bally's, Bet MGM from MGM Resorts, Win Interactive from Win Resorts, then Resorts World, which is a subsidiary of a Malaysian company, and PointsBet, which trades in Australia. Full disclosure, NBC Universal, CNBC's parent company, is an investor in PointsBet. The, uh, the state picked this Saturday to launch the sports betting, and it made a lot of sense. You know why, of course, right? Because gamblers would be able to wager on the last week of the NFL season and all the playoffs, as well as the Super Bowl, not to mention tonight's NCAA championship game between Alabama and Georgia. The four companies that launched two days ago were the ones that had already passed New York State's regulatory requirements. The other five were still going through the process, but the approvals were all expected to come fairly soon. The thing is, as we watched the launch, the thing that stood out the most was this plethora of deals that were available from the get-go. There are so many promotions, it's ridiculous. 
Caesars was offering $300 free bets to anyone who signed up. Then they matched 100% of bettors' initial deposits up to $300. So if you signed up with Caesars and deposited $300, then you'd have $700 to bet with. They really want to get you into the digital casino. Can you imagine that cost of acquisition? DraftKings offered new customers the chance to bet $5 on any Moneyline Week 18 NFL bet, meaning easy bets with no point spread. And if you won, you get $200 in free bets. Moneyline bets are really easy to win because you just pick a favorite, like the Buffalo Bills. They crushed the Jets on Sunday 2710. I mean, of course, like you could have picked the Colts, but you know what I mean. FanDuel's big promotion involves tonight's NCAA championship. You can bet $5 on either team to win the game, and if your pick wins, you'll get a $150 cash payout. Unlike DraftKings, which gave you the $200 in free bets, FanDuel's offering real money that you can take out immediately. Of the four, Bet Rivers had the least attractive promotion, uh, but they still give people a 100% deposit match up to $250. So if you put down $250, you can gamble $500. And look, these deals didn't stop with the initial bonuses. Many of the online sports books continue to offer sweetheart options in order to be able to acquire new customers. On Saturday, Caesars had this deal where you could bet up to... Up to $25 on the New York Knicks scoring a single point in that night game against the Celtics. Look, look, the, the Knicks are bad. I mean, I, you know, well, let's just stipulate that. Uh, but no team is so bad that they can't make a single basket. DraftKings lets you bet $25 on either the Jets or the Bills scoring a touchdown. And they're making the same offer for tonight's NCAA championship. I mean, a touchdown. Obviously, there are some caveats here. Most of the winnings we're talking about aren't actual cash rewards that you can withdraw instantly. They're credits you can use to make bets on each platform. You need to make another bet and win if you want to see real cash. But, man, when you look at the overall situation, these online gambling companies are throwing money at people in order to win market share. And remember, there are still five more sports books that haven't launched yet. If the industry is already this competitive with four players, imagine the deals you'll get when there are nine. On top of these promotions, all these outfits are spending a fortune on advertising. New York is just it is not a cheap media market. Now, you could argue that these promotions are all worth it. We're talking about temporary upfront costs to lure long-term customers. Tom Reed, the CEO of Caesars, was on Squawk this morning, and he said they had almost a million individual bets in the first 39 hours. But Caesars is the most generous by far through its promotions. So I've got to wonder how much they spent to lure in those gamblers. They're losing money on every gambler. Here's my concern. These places are shelling out all kinds of money to bring in customers. But these days, customers have no loyalty. If there are eight other players, all of whom are offering similar promotions, why wouldn't you just keep switching until you used up all the best deals? On top of that, the tax rate for online gambling in New York is astronomical. They're taking a 51%, 51% of gross revenue, not earnings, uh, but revenue. And that's on top of the $25 million licensing fee. I mean, talk about racketeering. On the subject of illegal activities, obviously, there's still a huge black market gambling business, and there's no telling if that will go away. Remember, most bookies will give you credit. The downside would be what happens to you if you can't pay. I like the fact, by the way, that you can't uh, no credit for these sites because people would get really do a lot of things that I think were irresponsible. Earlier last year, there was a ton of optimism about the scale of the opportunity for online sports betting. But as we see what the reality looks like, there's tons of competition for market share and little in the way of profits. Too bad, because profits are what this market wants right now. That's why every, one of these, every single one of these stocks has been obliterated. The trajectory looks a lot like what happened to the cannabis stocks a few years ago, although gambling's in much better shape because cannabis is still waiting on U.S. legalization at the federal level. 
But uh, after Canada legalized, all the cannabis stocks soared, only to come back to earth when we realized the competition would be incredibly fierce. Now, we do have, you know, we've got to see Florida and Texas and California. They're not open yet. Those could be terrific. And, and we know that there will be last men standing. But before you can think about buying the sports gambling stocks, I think we do need to see consolidation. We need to see some companies being taken out. Who will be the last man standing? We think the gaming companies with physical casinos do have an advantage, right? They already have the infrastructure. But DraftKings has a deep war chest. By the way, FanDuel's got the majority share right now. Another one to watch is a SPAC. And it's called Sports Entertainment Acquisition. We introduced it on our show. It's run by Eric Grubman. He's a former Goldman Sachs M&A banker. And it will be soon known as Supergroup. Its whole purpose is to roll up the industry. That's a pretty interesting, attractive issue. But the bottom line, until we see fewer commercial deals and more M&A deals, these online sports gambling stocks, they're very difficult to own, even as I am tempted, as I said last week about PennNet and DraftKings, to think that they are trying to put in a bottom. Adam in Ohio. Adam. Hey, Jim. Love the show. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Adam. What's up? My question is, recently one of your investment club bulletins, and then again recently on your show, you mentioned this stock has, quote, dead money. So I was wondering if you could provide a little bit more clarity on exactly what you meant, as well as with my cost basis of 101, any guidance on what I should do, buy, sell, or just hope to break even, my stock is win. All right, I said, yes, I did. I was very critical myself with win. I've been beating myself up. I would have put the post-it on my forehead with win, but I didn't. Obviously, I did not know about Omicron Delta, and I didn't know that China would crack down and have such a lockdown. Uh, the reason I said it's dead money is that we have to see COVID end, and we have to see the Chinese relax maybe after the Olympics uh, before the stock runs. The United States is doing very well. Uh, the CEO uh, retired, which I didn't want. Uh, the, many, many things have gone wrong with win, but I still think it's worth considerably more to someone else, not unlike when uh, when uh, look like you remember until today, we didn't think that that uh, that take two would find a lot of value. Right. When we looked at what happened when, when they went to buy. Uh, oh, man, this sucks down. Bad. When by Zinga. But I have to tell you, if someone were to buy win, it would be like Zinga being bought by take two. And that's what you have to hope if you're a win. Hope should not be part of the equation. But, you know, it is, I don't want to say it's too early to buy wind, but it's going to get to a level where you just can't afford to not be in it. It's just not this one. I think these online sports betting stocks are too dangerous to own right now, but they are trying to bottom. We need to see more consolidation and fewer commercial deals. They are like wind, which is one of the companies we just mentioned. Now, there's much more money, including my exclusive with Dexcom. After sharing some key trial data for one of its products at J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference earlier today, I'm talking uh, the latest with the CEO. Then, coaches across the NFL got the chop today. Some warranted, some not. I'll reveal how this compares to the stock market and how it can help you make money with your portfolio. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. The last couple of months have just been brutal for expensive stocks, and that includes even the best ones, like uh, Dexcom, the maker of continuous 
blood sugar monitors that have transformed the way people manage diabetes. Now, this has been one of the best growth stocks of the past five years, as those who watch this show knows. Running, no, running from under $60 at the end of 2017, where we, uh, we featured even lower, believe it or not, to $659 last November. But thanks to the Fed-mandated growth apocalypse, Dexcom's plunged to $462 and change. Now, today, the company presented at the big J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. However, they reported fourth quarter sales results that were basically in line with the estimates, also issued conservative guidance for 2022. Now, you know me. I have often said that this company promises to under, they underpromise and they overdeliver. But Wall Street's not inclined to take any chances, and therefore the stock tumbled about 2% today, though it was down much more than that and rallied nicely to the close. So could this be the buying opportunity, or do we need to remain cautious here? Let's check in with Kevin Sayers, the chairman and CEO of Dexcon, to get a better sense of where his company said, Mr. Sayer, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be on, Jim. Okay, so I've got to tell you, it's a little bit of a letdown, Kevin, when I read what the standard of care is here. And even after all that you've done, the standard of care remains the finger stick? Well, by many people it is. Jim, I think we've shifted that largely in the insulin-using community. But in the non-intensive insulin space, we still have a ways to go. Well, that's important. We have a lot to do. But that's important because you talk about access and awareness. Obviously, I know people say, well, listen, I see their commercials at 530 on CNBC. I come back and I say, because I do some work with some other health issues, the awareness always shocks. The lack of awareness always shocks you when you see a great product that is not yet in the marketplace well known. No, and it happens all the time. Uh, you know, I think I've told a couple of stories I have a bunch of friends in my fantasy football league and somebody went and saw somebody wearing a, a Dexcom and they told them the story they had to go through to get it because their doctor didn't know who we were. And it happens all the time, Jim. We've got to get that message out further and further and then we can, can drive more uh, access to the product from a reimbursement perspective as well. Well, how are you going to get them to understand that it could be good for all kinds of diabetes? We've done a lot of things. We have a study we talked about, the mobile study, where we used the product on people on basal insulin only and saw the same results we've seen on those in intensive insulin management. We've seen our type 2 studies over and over again show massive reductions. One of our companies work with WellDoc. Uh, I referred to the study this morning. For people who had an average, uh, average glucose value above 180, they put them on Dexcom for 24 weeks, and the average reduction in the average glucose value was 54 points. No drug can do that. That's a tremendous win for us. And it's it's creating a body of data. It's getting some people to take some chances and pay for it. Jim, we're just trying to push all the buttons to get there. Now, when I saw you last, which is, of course, before COVID, I thought that the size of of the the actual product was was pretty small. The new one, the seven sixty percent reduction from what I saw with you last. Sixty percent reduction from the G6. It's a little bit bigger than a nickel a little smaller than a quarter, a little bit thicker. You don't even know you have it on your body. And, and again, that will open up doors because people look at that and say, I, I can do that. That's not that big of a deal. We're very excited about this product, Jim. Right now, how is it possible that this epidemic seems to be accelerating when we, have, when we do have awareness of, of diabetes itself? What is happening that this thing is still exploding? It, it's just lifestyle and a buildup of poor habits over a number of years. A lot of it's genetics, too, uh, in all honesty. Uh, I, I meet people who just have this history of diabetes and type 2 diabetes in their family, and it just doesn't, doesn't go away. 
But I think where we can make a big impact as this is exploding by giving people the information when they first get diagnosed and they first start treating this saying, look, here's what you need to do to keep this from getting worse. That's where we can have a big, big impact in the future. But I would have thought with COVID where it's very clear that I keep hearing all of us have heard for the first time comorbidity. Most of us did not know that word. Comorbidity. Diabetes, comorbidity, diabetes. You would think that people would say, "Okay, look, maybe I have to change my lifestyle because I can't afford to have this disease and then uh, contract COVID. Well, you know, that that is one aspect. I, I think for us, the comorbidity in the COVID environment has been the use in the hospital because the hospitalized number of patients with diabetes, particularly type two diabetes, has been very big and that gave us a window to get our product into the hospital and start gathering data. We're now running a pivotal study in that hospital scenario to whereby we hopefully can get our G6 into the hospital and make patients and caregivers lives much better for everybody. Not just these places where we've gotten, you know, the exception and the ability to go in. And and one last question. I was surprised at how lacking in penetration you are internationally. So that anyone who says, well, look, this thing's tapped out, it's not tapped out domestically, but internationally, it's kind of really haven't started yet. No, we haven't, Jim. We've you know, if I go back five years, we had like three employees overseas. We've grown a five hundred million dollar business internationally, and it's not enough. Uh, We have to build infrastructure over there. We've got the right products coming over there with our Dexcom One product that we're launching. G7 will launch first in the international markets. We're very much looking forward to that. And we've made it much easier for international patients and physicians to get onto the system. And we need to keep pushing there. It is a very, very key strategic pillar in in our future growth. Well, look, congratulations on all your success. The stock price does not reflect uh, all, all the good things that you're doing. But obviously, the market doesn't like this kind of stock right now. But that's we've seen you and I have seen that many times in the past. You buy it when it does, yeah. when they don't like it. But but uh, great presentation today. Thank you. Hey, thank you. OK. And fantasy football didn't even get to talk about whether where he, he where he did. Uh, but probably did better than I did this year. Kevin Sayer, Chairman CEO of Dexcom. Guys, he historically has given you conservative guidance, so don't freak out that the stock was down on what was a great presentation. And money's back in. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? With Jay in Arizona. Jay. Hi, Jimmy Chill. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Great. I have a stock I've had for a while. It's uh, at the. It's in phase three, and it's at the bottom of the scale. So I want to know, like, to know where it's going. Then the stock is called Vero, V-E-R-U. Vero's in stage three for a very important breast cancer indication that I believe was, you know, they just got fast-track designation by the FDA this morning. It's at five bucks. It made no sense if the stock didn't go up to me. I thought it should have gone up on the news. How about we go to Mark in North Carolina? Mark. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thank Mark. you for taking my call. Of course. I'd like to ask, uh, ask you a question about uh, 
Neo, ticker symbol, NIO. No, nope, not recommending that. Not recommending any of the Chinese stocks. In particular, I don't like that stock. I, I just feel like there are people who want to speculate all the time on China that this is a different kind of China than what we're used to. It is a communist country that does not seem to favor capitalist development anymore. Let's go to Rollin in Virginia. Rollin. Hey, thank you, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, stock I'm interested in is a, a Southeast Asia super app. It's got over 670 million users currently. Ticker symbol grab, G-R-A-B. Yeah, we thought that was interesting when we looked at it. We like it. I mean, it literally is. It's got more, much more than just Uber. You know, it's a delivery. It's got everything. It's a food. It's Mart. It's, I like the stock. I liked it. We liked it when we looked at it. Let's go to Zachary in New York. We Zachary. Hi, Jim. Happy New Year's to you. Oh, same to you, Zachary. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm curious to your take on the stock international paper and on the Cheap stock, but always a cheap stock. And I don't want a stock that's always a cheap stock. I want a stock that moves higher. Let's go to John in Indiana. John. Oh, master of the closing bell. How are you? I am good. (laughs) Thank you very much. Almost. What's up? Mark Global Holdings, what's your take, my friend? I got to relook at it um, because this is involving smartphones, and smartphones are under pressure here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, inspiring season for NFL head coaches. Which stocks should be on the chopping block of your portfolio? Kramer has more next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Is it too early? David? Months. It goes back years, Carl. I think that Strauss Zelnick changed the whole narrative in terms of whether it was too early to buy Zinger. We used to kid, of course, during Zynga's toughest years. And you were right, by the way, because the stock kept going down, and we would always have a joke here. Is it too early to buzz? It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Wow, they really came from this morning, didn't they? Sell, 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 sell. Dumping the ones that aren't there yet, regardless of whether they might be building something big. I'm not talking about stocks. I'm talking about how the Miami Dolphins booted Brian Flores, the Bears fired Matt Nagy, the Vikings cut loose Mike Zimmer, and the Broncos dumped Vic Fangio within minutes of losing to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, this is a time-honored tradition to football coaches who disappoint their owners (laughs) face Black Monday, the name of the day after the season ends and the organization blows out the losers. I bring this up because it's very reminiscent of what's happening in the stock market, where so many formerly big names have been purged. While there are some true losers who deserve the boot, many of the coaches who created winning teams didn't deserve to be fired. Maybe the teams are worth picking up and the coach was the problem. Maybe the owners were impatient and a more patient ownership would have kept things together. That's how I look at some of the stocks that got tossed out today, especially earlier in the day when things were down big. Just like many stocks that got hit this morning, I believe some of these fired coaches were actual winners. Others were building something, still others had to go. 
My feeling has always been that if you that if you want to be a dispassionate stock picker, you need to leave the stock universe to find a new perspective on your portfolio. So let's consider these football coach firings as a learning lesson. Starting with Mike Zimmer from the Vikings. Zimmer coached the Vikings for eight years, and they disappointed on multiple occasions. They only made the playoffs three times. I think Zimmer's analogous to the kind of stock that's been losing for a long time and probably should have been kicked out of your portfolio ages ago. If you own a stock that's been a serial underperformer with no hope of making money, like a lot of these biotech stocks, frankly, that stock should be sold. Then there are the coaches of the Bears and the Broncos. After just three seasons each, I'm not sure they, that you had enough time to consider the merits of these firings. But ask yourself, if you're looking at a stock that hasn't delivered for three years, would you buy it now? Would you bet on the Broncos or the Bears to win just because they've been written off? I don't think so. The possibility that the teams might do a lot better without these coaches, well, at the helm, I don't know. They don't have a lot of talent. Pretty slim. Uh, but then there's Brian Flores. The coach was truly turning his team around. Flores had a 24 and 25%, 24 and 25 record. But the last two seasons were winning ones. I like that. I'd be glad to be the head coach of the Dolphins as they have gone from laughing stock to genuine contenders. Flores got fired anyway. You want to find stocks like the Dolphins who fired Flores, okay? Because Flores may be, uh, because the team may be on the come. Now, you might say, who needs these teams when I can buy Belichick and the Patriots or Reed and the Chiefs? The answer is that unlike the stocks I've been talking about, those stocks have not been obliterated. These teams that fire their coaches, they're cheap. The good ones rarely give you an enticing entry point. You don't want to pay up for the good merchandise when you can find other good merchandise, but at a better price. One of the themes of tonight's show is price matters. That's why we like the stocks that are similar to the Miami Dolphins, ones that have the right trajectory but still get tossed out due to the impatience of sellers. It reminds me of Marvell Technologies. It just started getting great. This is the beginning of the turnaround. But the portfolio managers got impatient with it with its brief downturn from the 90s. So they acted impulsively and booted it as if it were a bad company, not a wounded stock. You don't want to feel similar to a stock I talked about earlier in the show, Uber. A turnaround story that's starting to get more credit. But its stock got crushed late last year. So think about coaches rightly and wrongly fired today. You've got true losers that need to be sold in your portfolio. You've got ones that are doing okay but not really improving. Eh, too tough to own in this kind of downturn, maybe. But if you get a chance to pick up an improving team that's all set for you to buy because it got sold out prematurely, one with both a winning record and sales and earnings, that might be the merchandise worth buying. I like to say this always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.